Um, my ministry is um, uh, focused on young people and helping to train them to see how God is going to do much greater things with this younger generation than he's done with our generation uh, in Israel. And so I'd like to share with you um, the message I bring to the young people uh, in Israel. And I'm glad there are some younger people here, but it's really for all of us, and it's to know how to pray also for uh, the next generation in Israel. And I ask the young people, um, we've started an intensive you know, apologetic and training program for them, uh, which you're going to see a film later, as Rabbi Gary said, about our pilot program. Um, and basically I ask them, you know, what are you doing on earth? What is your purpose here on earth? And um, how do you discover your specific calling that God has called you to? And how do you prepare for that? Because each of us has been called by God to be his kingdom agents in this world, to bring his lordship into this world and into the peoples and cultures where he places us. And so in order to understand our calling, uh, these are things you know of, but uh, trace with me the, the beginning of creation when God sets his kingdom purposes in place for us. And uh, we'll think about that together. So think about the beginning of creation when God, uh, you know, the earth is empty and uh, not developed yet and uh, dark and void. And God begins to set his creational distinctives in place. And he separates the light from the darkness and the waters above uh, from the waters below and separates the land from the sea. Uh, you, know, you know the creation narrative, the uh, vegetation, the trees, makes the lights for the seasons, sea creatures, and all the uh, animal species. But then, notice how on the sixth day, God changes his strategy. He creates the first human being, the first pair, and basically commissions them to carry on the development of the creation from where he had left off after he calls the creation very good. And in Genesis 1.26, we know these verses, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the whole created order. And clearly, man is placed at the top of the creation order uh, in the scheme of God here. And from that point on, when God gives that commission, the work of creation will be primarily social and cultural. Okay? So let's take a look at that. That would be Genesis 1.28. And you know these verses. God blesses this first couple, and he says to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So that's what I'm calling the social commission. Three verbs there, be fruitful, multiply, and fill. And basically God is saying there to have families, create communities, that will be God-glorifying communities for his name. But I want to focus in this message on the second half of that verse, where God says to the first uh, our, uh, parents of the human race here, Adam and Eve, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and so on. And the two verbs here are to subdue and to have dominion. And here we see our calling as God's vice regents. He has told us to have dominion over his created order. I also like the way he puts it in Genesis 2, the image of gardeners, uh, Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So we're called to preserve the garden and to nurture the garden, to basically cultivate nature and see how God would want us to release the hidden potential in nature in ways that will glorify his name as our creator. And this command is still binding on us today right? The cultural commission. 
to um, bring his lordship into culture. Of course, we know sin came into the world with its destructive power, but it certainly did not erase the order of God or the image of God in us, and so this commission is still binding on us to fulfill our original purpose. And so um, we are called by God and empowered by him to build societies for him that will glorify his name and to restore this fallen, this broken, created order. Now, the cultural commission is inseparable from the Great Commission. Okay, most of us grew up hearing about the Great Commission, and of course I believe in that. Yeshua receives all authority after his resurrection and says to his apostles and to all disciples, now go into the world and teach, make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you. So we are to go to all nations. Our commission is extensive to all nations, but it's also intensive. It's to every aspect of culture of each people group that God has called us to go to. And I want to give you an example. I came across a striking example recently of someone who really got this, really understood the, what I'm calling the cultural commission. And it was um, a man by the name of Abraham Kuyper. Is, that, is he familiar to anybody here? Okay, well, he was a Dutch journalist, a theologian, a scholar, and a politician. In fact, um, in 1880, he founded the Free University of Amsterdam. And he became none less than the prime minister of the Netherlands in 1901. And as I said, he really got this. Okay? He was a very godly man. And he said the following words, which I'm going to quote. It's a, it's a quote that um, is a very profound quote uh, for somebody who, who understood what God was calling him to do in the Netherlands. And here's the quote by Abraham Kuyper. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Isn't that a great quote? Let me read it again. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not look at and cry, mine. That is the commission that he understood well. And so it's no coincidence that when the Nazis came into the Netherlands, the stiffest resistance they found in all Europe was the Dutch underground. And this was largely as a result, many believe, of the legacy of Kuiper, who would train these young men uh, in the Free Amster- uh, University of Amsterdam. In fact, um, if you study this out, Hitler himself told his troops, find out where the, because um, Kuiper is a little bit before him, find out where the students of the Free University of Abraham Kuiper are and treat them like Jews. He understood that was the greatest threat to his controlling the population of the Netherlands. So basically, if we ignore the Cultural Commission, which we can do, But the result will be we simply lose our influence in culture. We simply lose uh, our influence in the world. So in order to fulfill the um, cultural commission, as I'm calling it, we need to know, and this is my charge to our young people in Israel, what has God called me to do? What is the specific calling God's called me to do? And um, I'd like to tell them, even though we're, of course, uh, speaking Hebrew in Israel, that uh, the word vocation uh, comes from the Latin vocare, to call. Okay? Your, your job, if you will, is your calling that God's called you to do. And that's also reflected in uh, the calling of the priests in, in Leviticus. In Hebrew, that's vaikra, and God called to Moses um, the calling of the priests. So our question as young people, I tell them, and for all of us as believers is, now, you know, what job can I get? And we understand we need to provide for our families. We all understand that one. But that's not our ultimate question. Rather, our question needs to be, what is God gifted me to do? What has he called me to do? And we don't choose our vocation. 
Um, we need to take steps, but I like the verse in Proverbs 69, which says, a man deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So yes, we plan, but ultimately it's God that's directing us as we go forward. And I also encourage young people to, to not think that they have to be. We thank God for Messianic rabbis and worship leaders. We are, would be uh, help, you know, hopeless without them uh, in terms of planting and, and establishing Yeshua's uh, communities. But most of them are not called to be Messianic uh, congregational leaders or worship leaders. And some of them have thought, well, if I'm not going to be a congregational leader, I guess I'm not really serving God. But that is simply not the way Scripture looks at it. Okay, scripture uh, is very clear that whatever God's called you to do, that is your holy calling for God to glorify him with the gifts that he's given you, whether you're, you know, it's a teacher, journalist, a builder, an artist, whatever it is. And so I want to look with you in the brief time we have before I put my film up at the first explicit teaching in scripture on calling, okay? It's after Moses receives the Ten Commandments, God gives him, you know, the instructions on how He's to be worshipped since he's, he's a holy God. There's going to need to be blood, sacrifices, and basins, the Ark of the Covenant, and the tabernacle. And if you want to turn your Bible, it's in Exodus 31. God then calls Bethalel to uh, his, his calling. So if you have your Bible, it's Exodus 31, verse 1. And we read these verses in Exodus 31, 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bethalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. So basically, God called Bezalel to be an artist, okay? To be an artisan. And... Um, this was a personal calling. God called him by name and um, called him to carry out uh, his specific purposes that he'd been raised up for. He's the first person in the Bible that God says explicitly that he was filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Ruach Elohim. He was filled with the Spirit of God. It's in verse 3. And the text says God filled him, as we heard, with ability, intelligence, knowledge, and crafts, uh, craftsmanship. Verse 3, And I filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding, knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works. Now these apparently, were, evidently, weren't just zapped into him, okay, like as if he had no artistic propensities at all growing up and all of a sudden woke up one morning and said, I guess I need to be an artist. No, I believe God you know, gives us personalities and life experiences and certain tendencies to what we're interested in and then he calls us to... Um, Submit those gifts to him so that we can work with him. And it still ends up being described as the work of God, even though those are gifts that he's given to us. Um, so the qualities God gave Bezalel um, were three. Wisdom, which is um, the gift to understand what you need to carry out something God calls you to do. Okay? Discernment or understanding. The talent for solving uh, inevitable problems that come when God calls you to do something. There's always problems um, if it's God's work. And with people and skill, the ability to actually carry it out, to accomplish the labor itself. But notice that when you read the text, the resulting tabernacle that Bezalel and his team build um, is said to be the work of God, the Spirit of God, and Bezalel's team. It's a divine human product, and that's what God's calling us to do to see ourselves, but also our young people raised up to create divine human 
uh, cultural goods for God. And God has a calling on each of us to do that. Now, the possibility that we're going to be able to see this happen in Israel, to see our next generation really uh, follow the call that God has on their lives and change the culture by being uh, used of God to release the creativity and the callings God has on them is uh, full of challenges, okay? It's a long-term calling, um, but I believe that God is going to do it. And um, here I want, I'm always encouraged when I read these two twin parables in, in Matthew, Matthew 13, 31, and 32. You know these parables? Uh, Yeshua is teaching here about the kingdom of heaven, and he says it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and he put it in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but, but when it's grown, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. And, you know, of course, in, in the context here, Yeshua is speaking about the kingdom. It didn't look like much, did it, when you had uh, Yeshua and these 12, uh, you know, fishermen and tax collectors tripping over themselves, schlepping and sweating in the hot, you know, sun of, of Galilee. It didn't look like the kingdom had come. But Yeshua said from that small beginning, a tree is going to grow up that the nations even, the birds, will come and find shade in. It will fill the whole world. And verse 33, he says, it's like Leaven or yeast, you can't see it, right? A woman took and put it in measures of meal, but it leavens the whole thing. And that's what happened, of course, with uh, those little group of 12 men. It spread around the whole world. And I believe that, you know, even as um, Simchan Bella are now in Ashkelon, and we have believers around our, the country of Israel, and we've seen this next generation, which all of a sudden it's not like 20 people when I used to go to youth meetings in the mid-1980s in Israel. We have hundreds of young people, you know, soldiers' conferences, of believers, and God has his hand on these young people's lives. And I believe, even though we're still a small little seed compared to the rest of six million Jewish people in Israel, I believe what God has said, that he is going to change our nation through this small little group. And just before we see this film, um, think about the fact that um, nobody in Rome had even probably heard of Yeshua when he died as a, a criminal, as far as Rome was concerned, and, you know, and political outcast in some uh, obscure corner of the empire. But in about 350 years, half of that empire had become believers. So do we have the faith to believe that God wants to do that here in America, but also in Israel? 